You're listening to Rewire Your Work. I'm your host, Heather Love, and I'm a subconscious mindset coach, a spiritual and integrative life coach, and a certified hypnotist who is obsessed with learning about how the brain works, why we do what we do, how to rewire the subconscious mind, and creating new and fun ways to regulate the nervous system. You're in the right place if you're ready to change your perception of worthiness, find your self-confidence, overcome your fears, step into your truth, and fall madly in love with your life. Welcome to this magical adventure where I'll help you learn the tools you need to rewire your neural pathways and step into your power with radiance and courage. So grab your headphones, get comfy, and let's get started. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Rewire Your Worth. Without question, one of the things I get asked about the most often is my sober journey. If you're new to me, I quit drinking two and a half years ago, and it was the best decision of my life. Did I consider myself an alcoholic? No way. Did I have a drinking problem? Absolutely. I used alcohol to numb out, to feel better, to forget. I considered it my me time. I would drink one or two glasses of wine with dinner every night, about four or five nights a week. And then on Friday and or Saturday night, I would drink sometimes a full bottle of wine. And it was one of those big bottles, not like the normal size ones. I would fall asleep on the couch every night after dinner. I would wake up a couple of hours later and feel very irritated. I had brain fog. I lived in a perpetual state of fatigue that was sometimes accompanied by headaches or nausea. But oddly, I didn't tie any of this to symptoms of drinking almost daily. In this episode, we'll talk about what's going on in your brain that's keeping you in this pattern of drugs, alcohol, sugar, sex, shopping, smoking, whatever it is for you, and how I broke out of my own relationship with alcohol. We'll go through the steps together so that you can do this too. I'm not a doctor or an addiction therapist, so yes, take into consideration everything I say, but also know there are resources available to you if you need something more than this podcast episode. This is not medical advice. This is my story and what went on with me, as well as my understanding of what is going on in the brain when you have or are trying to break free from an addiction. So let's get into it. First of all, here's what's changed for me since I've quit drinking. Most people don't know that after you've overcome an addiction, parts of your brain actually get stronger. You're more disciplined. You're more focused. For me, brain fog lifted and my memory got better. I noticed that my thoughts weren't bouncing around to 5 million things at once. I could stick to one thing and remember what I thought about before, later. This became really apparent for me in conversations. I used to lose my train of thought constantly, but once I became sober, my mind was so clear. I could always bring my topics back around to where I started, and that had never happened before in my life. 
Also, just my general mood was so much better. Yes, there was an initial withdrawal period where you might not feel so great, but that only lasted about a week for me as all of the remnants of the alcohol made its way out of my system. After that, I honestly felt so good, both emotionally and physically. I didn't have the mood swings that I had when I was drinking. And I mean, the mood swings weren't even necessarily while I had a drink in hand, just in general, when I had alcohol in my system, it was like a switch could be flipped and I would go from being totally fine to pissed off in an instant. So once I got sober, my mood was just much more steady and wasn't so much like a roller coaster. It was just a consistent good mood. Not that I didn't have bad days or bad moments or whatever, but overall, people could see a shift in my demeanor. And then physically, I had a lot more energy. I never realized until I quit drinking how much of a toll it was taking on me and my body. So the headaches went away and I found out that I could wake up easier in the mornings and I was no longer passing out on the couch at night. I had better and more solid sleep. I found out that I craved sugar less. So there's just a lot of things that were tied to drinking that never even occurred to me until I quit. So I'm sharing it with you in hopes that you'll find some inspiration in addition to your own reasons for why you're wanting to quit. So I'm going to say something controversial here. When it comes to what's going on in the brain, addiction is essentially a habit. That's what it is. Now, that's not to say there aren't things going on in the body if there are drugs, alcohol, or sugar involved. But as far as the brain goes and what leads up to the decision to have the drink, do the drugs, or eat the cookie, that part is a habit. Habits live in the subconscious mind, which is why you may be sitting there thinking that you have no control over these certain aspects of your life. Because in a sense, you don't, at least not until you learn how to access the subconscious and bring it into your conscious awareness where you can then do something about the habit. And I know that might ruffle some feathers, okay? But a habit is something you think with repetition, do with repetition, or feel with repetition. So when you reach for that drink or that cookie or that cigarette or hit the buy button, it's because you're used to doing it and that action is giving you the feeling that you're after, albeit temporary. With some of the different kinds of addiction, there is a physical aspect of detoxing. I am not disregarding that. But today we're going to talk about the mental part of it. Again, if you are in a place that you need assistance for the physical withdrawal symptoms, I encourage you to talk to a professional to get the help you need to do this safely. The detox process and the recovery process are highly impacted by the brain and what it deems as quote unquote safe. And that's why so many struggle with addiction. And today we're focusing on how the brain processes addiction. So with that said, there is a decision point that happens for everyone before they take the drugs or walk into the casino or whatever it is for you, where you make a decision to do that thing. It may happen so quickly that it doesn't 
feel like a decision and it just feels automatic. This is where it is so important to slow time down so that you can be aware of when that decision point happens and make a different decision. That's what accessing the subconscious mind will do for you. Despite what some programs tell you about addiction, you are not powerless to it. In fact, it is quite the opposite. And we are going to talk about how to be empowered in this episode. Change the story that there is nothing you can do because you can. Empowerment is the biggest driving factor in knowing that you have control over your own life. It's important to keep this in mind because the moment you give your power to the thing, you've taken yourself out of the equation and given it to something else. So don't let anyone tell you that you're powerless over the addiction because that's bullshit. There are some addictions that will hold on tighter than others, yes, but it will still always come down to you and those decision points. A large part of why people choose to drink, do drugs, smoke, gamble, whatever, is because the brain is trying to get out of an unwanted state. The brain is really good at finding ways to feel better by looking for comfort, for community, for belonging, for acceptance. We often find those feelings and things that end up as addictions because Once we've felt that feeling once, we continue to go back to try to get that same feeling over and over because your brain is craving it. But it's craving the feeling, not the actual action of the taking of the drugs, drinking the alcohol, eating the sugar, etc. When it comes to that decision point, having meaning in your life is going to help you flip that switch easier. Notice I did not say easy. I said easier, but when you understand your why for wanting to stop the addiction, whether that's what you're modeling to your kids, how you treat your spouse, what you think about yourself, keeping your job, how you feel, whatever that is for you, knowing that is going to significantly assist you in this process because when you falter, you can lean on that why and remember what's important to you, okay? Another question I want you to ask yourself is, who are you surrounding yourself with? If you're a mom who's working a nine to five and is completely stressed out about your work situation and your kids have activities at night and on the weekends and you're trying to do all the things at home, like clean the house, do the laundry, have food in the house and be a good partner to your spouse, there is a higher chance of you having friends in your circle who are basically in the same boat. Like attracts like. You can commiserate together and you can all go out drinking to feel better. Now, I'm not telling you to ditch your friends, but what I will say is that especially in the beginning, your willpower may not be as strong as you'll eventually work up to. So you might want to create some distance between you and the people that help to feed your addiction because likely they have the same addictions. For me, what I started to do was offer suggestions for going out to places that didn't include drinking and didn't take place at a bar. So I met friends for a walk at the park 
or we went out to eat and I made sure I only ordered something non-alcoholic to drink or we would go to the movies. So things where drinking wasn't the main focus were the only things I was willing to participate in. And yes, honestly, that meant a lot more nights at home. So that meant that I no longer kept open alcohol in the house. Because for me, if I had wine or whiskey in the house, I wasn't tempted if the bottle was sealed. But if it was open, I was definitely drinking it. But whatever your situation is, it might be better to just not have it in the house at all. A lot of people do that when they're trying to break a sugar addiction. They just don't have the cookies in the house because they know they'll eat them if they're there. So who you have in your circle, especially in the beginning, is going to be important. I had so many people ask why in a snarky tone when I said I stopped drinking. And all that made me do was realize that those weren't my people. My people said, good for you, and asked, how can I support you? They never made me feel embarrassed or ashamed or guilty for not drinking. So keep that in mind. Find your people and lovingly let the rest go. Okay, next, let's just talk about emotions for a moment. The duration of an emotion, if you stick with it, is 90 seconds max. If you just feel the feeling and ride the wave of the emotion instead of trying to ignore it or push it down or remind yourself of it, it will naturally move through to a different emotion and the emotion that you had will shift. But what we do is we continue to re-trigger the emotion by interjecting thoughts about the thing that is making us feel a certain way. If we're sad, we continue to think about what made us sad. If we're mad, we replay the conversation with the person and think of all the things that we should have said instead. These are ways that we re-trigger the emotion. But if we would just ride the wave of being sad or being mad instead of thinking about them, we would feel so much better quicker than if we could get our hands on any bottle of wine or joint or whatever. Every emotion in the brain is like a drug. It's a hormone or a chemical, and it makes you feel a certain way. You get to decide which chemicals you want in your system. Something else I want to say is that there is always, always, always a positive intention underneath the behavior. I don't want anyone talking shit about themselves in any of this process. There is a very, very small percentage of humans that go around and do things maliciously and have a negative intent. And when it comes to you and your addictions, if you really think about it, I guarantee you that you'll find a positive intention for your actions. What I aim to do when it comes to addictions is make the solution to a craving that stems from an emotion faster, easier, cheaper than the feeling you're trying to get with the drugs or alcohol or cigarettes or whatever. When you find something that works better than what you've been doing, that's when you'll make the change. 
What I think we'll do now is just briefly go through the steps that I would do if I was working with a client on addiction so you can see how to do this on your own. As I said in the beginning, you definitely have the power to do this. That said, if you need someone on your team, you can hire me, you can hire someone else, you can talk to someone you trust in your life. There are options out there so you don't have to do it on your own if that doesn't feel good to you, okay? Step one is going to be to access a memory of one of the last times you did the thing, whether that's the drugs or the alcohol or shopping, you get the idea. I want you to recall what you were doing and how you were feeling the moment that you decided to take that action. This is accessing the correct neural network in your brain for this specific change to happen. Remember, this is the decision point that we're going to work with for this example. So you don't need to spend a lot of time on this, but you want to be very clear about where you were and what was going on that you felt like having a drink or whatever was going to make you feel better because we're making sure we've got the right part of the brain lit up, okay? Step two of my signature under framework that I do with my clients is nervous system regulation. This is also called a pattern interrupt. This is also called dissociation. They are all ways to get your nervous system back to feeling safe. Doing a pattern interrupt for 90 seconds will reset that emotion. Remember, I said the wave of an emotion is up to 90 seconds. Pattern interrupts are a pause button. And if you have it last long enough that the emotion can move through you without you re-triggering it or without reminding yourself of the emotion, you're going to feel a shift. Many people don't even need 90 seconds to move through it. Like I said, research shows that an emotion is 90 seconds max, so it could definitely be shorter. Ideally, you would do these pattern interrupts in real time as you're having this moment of wanting to have the thing. But I'm giving the example of remembering a time for the sake of this episode, but you're going to get the most bang for your buck when you use this method in real time of when it's happening. When you put up a roadblock or a pattern interrupt to where your brain thinks it's going, you essentially create a prediction error in the brain. So it thought it knew where it was going based on past experience, but now you've just confused it. So what is an example of a pattern interrupt? There are a ton, but the one we'll use today is shut up and shift out. It's also known as peripheral vision. The idea here is when you are at the height of an emotion, you have something called foveal vision, F-O-V-E-A-L, foveal. This is also known as tunnel vision. You're only focused on what's directly in front of you, whether that's the thought or the feeling. So we're going to do the opposite and focus on everything else. Little disclaimer to not do this if you're driving, but if you're not driving, just try this one out because it's a lot of fun. So I want you to find something to focus on in front of you, preferably slightly above eye level. And as you look at that thing, I want you to keep your eyes there, but gently focus on the area around you. 
keeping your eyes on the focal point, what do you notice to the right of you? What do you notice to the left of you? Keeping your eyes on the focal point, what do you notice above you? And below you, what do you notice behind you? And you'll do that for about 90 seconds total or longer if you wish. And then you'll gently bring your focus back to the original focal point. Most people notice how quiet their mind was during that time. That's why it's called shut up and shift out. You have made your brain aware of something beyond the emotion or the thought that you had before. Cool, right? So that is a pattern interrupt. The key to understanding this step is that you do a pattern interrupt at the decision point. This is regulating the nervous system because it's dissociating you from the feeling of the emotion that you're having right then. So in step three, we decide how we want to feel instead. We've neutralized the trigger with a pattern interrupt, and now we can condition in how you want to feel in those moments instead. This is where we insert the change. You'll remove the thing, the alcohol, the drugs, whatever. When you find an emotion that makes you feel better instead. So what is that feeling for you? Step four is embodying that new feeling. So if you imagine yourself feeling this new way and not having the craving for the addiction, what does that do for you? What do you look like in that moment? How do you feel? What are you wearing? Where are you? Who is around you? Really visualize what this looks like and feels like. Your brain doesn't know the difference between imagination and reality. So by really stepping into this moment, you are showing your brain what's possible. If you're doing this in real time, it's exactly the same. You had the craving for the cigarette. You had the awareness to notice it. You did a pattern interrupt and made a decision to not do that thing and feel differently. Then since you're currently embodying it, you're going to just take a moment and celebrate and notice this new achievement. The last step of the framework is to keep looping this new feeling over and over. You're going to keep visualizing and playing it out in your head when you go an hour without a cigarette, a day, a week, and just keep going and see how differently your life looks in your head while you imagine your success. The more you loop this with both thoughts and feelings, the more it will stick and is likely to become your new reality. I always loop the embodiment visualization at least three times with my clients, and then I recommend that they do it again before bed and when they wake up in the morning. When it comes to addiction, it may be more often because remember that you're going to want to do a pattern interrupt every time you get the emotion that leads to the craving of doing the thing. This could be every hour for some people. You can't do this part too often. So if that means every five minutes for you, just go with it. I hope you've found this episode helpful. Having been sober for two and a half years and living in Wisconsin, I get asked about being sober a lot. 
Some people can quit cold turkey and that's what works for them. And others need more support. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, just know that there is nothing wrong with you and you're not alone. And there are resources and people that can help guide you onto the right path. That's what I have for you today, my friends. If you know someone that's struggling with addiction and they've reached out to you for help, feel free to share this episode with them. Feeling understood and connected to others goes so far for all of us on our journeys. Until next time, thank you for listening. I love you so much. And remember that you're worthy of living the life of your dreams.